This week on Blue 58, training camp is nearly a week old. Once for real, what's a mirage? What do we make of the biggest stories, developments, injuries, and more? Will Aaron Rodgers ever actually sign a contract? Probably, but that's about all we know right now. Plus, why you should ignore online highlight reels and focus on the most boring parts of the game instead. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58. I am your host, John Meerdink. Excited to be with you here for a actual football season version of Blue 58. It has been a long, long time coming, but we are finally here. Boy, the offseason is finally over, and there are actual football-related things to talk about. And what we're going to do on this particular episode of Blue 58 is just work through the biggest stories of training camp so far in more or less the order that they've happened. So starting when players were starting to report last Wednesday until now, Tuesday night here in rainy Northwest Ohio. It looks, you know, for all intents and purposes, like the weather has been pretty nice in Green Bay so far, except for those rain clouds that moved in towards the end of Monday's practice, which kind of fit the mood of the end of Monday's practice for reasons that we couple seconds. The first thing I would like to talk about this week is Aaron Rodgers and his contract or lack of contract so far. This was one of the biggest stories for the Packers this offseason. It figured to be one of the biggest stories heading into training camp, and that has proven true to form. Talk about Rodgers, the Packers, his contract, the reported lack of progress on a contract, then potentially some progress on a contract, all of the permutations of that contract talk have been in the headlines in one way, shape, or form over the past week or so. As I predicted, I still think that the Packers and Rodgers are going to get something done before the end of training camp. However, last week, I was probably 100% certain on that. Now I'm down to like 90-95%. And the reason for that is just timing. Um, different sort of sense, though, than Andrew Brandt was talking about when he, he said timing was a reason things haven't haven't worked out. I think it's just going to be a time issue getting something done. If the Packers and Rodgers don't have something done by the end of training camp, what real reason is there to get something done between now and the end of the regular season or the end of training camp at the end of the regular season? You might as well just kick that can down down the road, um, talk about it when you've got more time to to sit down and really hash some things out, and then go from there. I still think there is incentive on both sides to get things done, and that is largely a positioning, a branding sort of thing. Both sides have options here that they don't want to execute, that they don't want to have to use. The Packers, for all intents and purposes, control Rodgers for as long as he wants to be a professional football player. They have two more years under his current deal. Then they can training, or they can franchise tag him for a year, the next year, and then even if it got really, really expensive, a third year after that. At that point, Rodgers is is forty already, uh, and anything that happens beyond forty is not going to be the sort of game breaking, league changing deal that Rodgers surely is hoping for. It's just not that that doesn't happen. Even if Rodgers is playing into a, at a high level into his forties. You're just not going to see that kind of money go towards a, a quarterback on the wrong side of 40. It's not going to happen. The Packers don't want it to get to that point. Neither, though, does Rodgers want to use his leverage. Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk 
pointed out this week that if he wanted to, Rodgers could get this contract thing sorted out in a day. He could walk away from training camp, say, figure it out or I'm not coming back. And the Packers would have a new contract for him to sign by the end of business that day. It would just get done that fast. Rodgers is extremely image conscious, and of course he's not going to do that. And to really suggest that he would is not a serious conversation. Florio spun it like he was making some sort of good point, uh, like he had some sort of actual insight there. But everybody knows that's not going to happen. Rodgers isn't going to do that. He saw how things ended for Brett Favre in Green Bay, and he doesn't want to do that. He's not going to walk away. He could, but he's not going to. Neither side wants to have to use the leverage that they have. That's why I still think that something is going to get worked out. It just hasn't so far. Speaking of things not working out, training camp storyline number two has to do with Michael Clark. He has called it a career. Probably was a smart move for him. Um, As a player, Clark was more theoretically interesting than practically interesting. I mean, I, I think we all knew that. Uh, I think we all knew that there w- it was going to be tough for a guy who had never played football at a super high level to come in and become an NFL wide receiver. I mean, his one season at Marshall aside, it just wasn't going to happen. That's just not something that really, really works out for guys. I mean, you know, you, you've got your Antonio Gates story, sure, but that's an exception. And I think everybody intuitively sort of understands that. On top of that, I mean, his fate was really pretty much sealed the moment the Packers drafted one receiver, much less three. And and not just three receivers, but three receivers who also have pretty much the same skill set as Clark. I mean, being extremely big and fast and, and athletic, but with the added benefit of av- actually having played organized football at a high level for a, a, a significant period of time. It just wasn't going to happen for him unless he ended up at the pra- on the practice squad again or signed by some other team that wanted to give him a shot. It's just hard to see that working out for him. So it, it really does make a lot of sense. What doesn't make quite so much sense at least in ways that we can talk about authoritatively so far, is Cole Madison's absence from training camp. Uh, The Packers' fifth-round pick figured, at least in my estimation, estimation, to be a good bet to continue that tackle-to-guard pipeline the Packers have utilized so effectively over the past two years. You know, a guy who starts for a long time at tackle in college, which is to guard in the NFL, eventually becomes a solid interior lineman. Madison 100% is in that mold, but he did not report for the start of training camp this year. That is a concern, and a lot of people in the media are concerned about that and asked Brian Gutekunst about that today, Yesterday, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, further in the past, if you're listening to it sometime in the future, Gudikins wouldn't really play a whole lot of ball, and there's not a really a whole lot that he can say. He did say it's a personal matter. We're more concerned about Cole, end quote, than you know what he's going to do as a player. Uh, really, no timeline on when he could come back to the Packers, and this one is concerning to me. Um, 
I, I suspect that I know what's going on here, but I don't feel like I can really talk about it without just speculating wildly because we don't have any hard evidence of what my theory of, of about what's going on actually is. And given what I think it is, I'm not prepared to, to throw it out there yet, but I will let you know if and when the real reason comes to light, if I was right or not. Does that make sense? When we figure out why Cole Madison isn't at training camp, I will tell you if the reason that I thought he wasn't at camp was the actual reason. Fair enough. It's it's weird. It's disconcerting. I hope everything is is all right in his personal life, and it's just a bummer that that things have worked out this way so far. Positive news on the offensive line. Brian Bulaga, if not functionally back, in that he's playing, which he's not, is kind of back. Uh, He is on track, at least according to some people, Mike McCarthy among them, to at least potentially be available for the start of the regular season, which would be absolutely incredible. Pretty much about nine months removed from tearing his ACL. Absolutely incredible, and it changes the entire equation for the Packers on the offensive line. Let's let's consider for a second the ramifications of, of Bulaga being a starter in week one, or at least even just being available to play in week one, even if he's not a starter. It affects guys who might also play right tackle, for one. So Kyle Murphy, probably not starting at right tackle. Jason Spriggs, probably not starting at right tackle. Uh, Byron Bell, not starting at right tackle. And the fact that they're not starting or contributing really in any way, if Bulaga is out there, puts their roster spots in jeopardy. It changes the calculus of the sort of configuration the Packers might like to have for their offensive line. If the training camp is confident that Bulaga is in good shape, that he's ready to go, that the that it's not going to be a detriment to the Packers to have him out there, that it's not going to be a detriment to Bulaga to be out there. Boy, that changes everything in terms of the amount of players at certain positions that you carry. Uh, You start looking maybe a little bit more guard heavy. You start looking for guys that maybe might have swung between those two positions as a more serious option because it does give you a little bit of depth at both spots. So, if Bulaga is ready to go at the start of the regular season, it changes a lot of things. However, I am still very skeptical as to whether or not this is actually going to happen. And I see all the stuff about Bulaga doing drills and and things like that too, and it looks great. But given what we know about the Packers' medical staff and how conservative they are with guys, why would they throw them out there with not at least a bit of a ramp-up period? We're really going to have to wait and see when Bulaga can start practicing. If it's two weeks from now and he can come off the physically unable to perform list and, and be ready to go, great. If it's getting closer to the regular season and he's not quite ready to go yet, you just leave him on the pup list for six weeks and then bring him back later in the season. I know that puts you in a little bit of a bind early on, but if you're feeling confident about the other guys that can play right tackle, 
why wouldn't you try to buy a little bit of extra time for Bulaga to get back to whatever the approximation of full strength is for a guy coming off an ACL tear? Why not take all the time that you can if you're not forced into a a bad situation at right tackle? And while the Packers' right tackle situation isn't ideal without Bulaga, I don't think it's the sort of situation as where you, where you have to be like, oh my gosh, we we have to get him back because we have nobody else that we can put out there. Kyle Murphy was fine when he played last year. Jason Spriggs came on strong towards the end of last year. They gave Byron Bell a big signing bonus for some reason. Even Justin McRae, if not a complete disaster, is at least at least capable of playing right tackle for a game or two if you absolutely had to. You can work around a guy like Justin McRae. I guess what I'm saying is there's no real reason to rush Bulaga back if you don't have to. And I would be surprised if the Packers didn't pump the brakes a little bit on the Bulaga comeback tour. But we'll see. We got to switch over to defense here for a second because one of the big storylines heading into training camp was a new defensive coordinator for the Packers. And Mike Pettin seems to be as advertised. Uh, he had the reputation as an intense guy. He had the reputation of being a guy who can, you know, change the attitude of your defense a little bit. But he also had the ad, uh, the reputation of a guy who can turn your defense around pretty quickly. He, uh, he preached his his kill system all offseason, keep it likable and learnable, simple yet complex sort of defense. And it seems like we're getting some sort of results along those lines in training camp so far. Now, in training camp, the defense should be ahead of the offense, and that's because of your install process. Basically, your install is where you take a part of your training camp and say, all right, this is now officially a part of our our playbook. Everybody, these are your responsibilities. These are what you have to do. We're going to walk through those things and work on those things in practice today. Just by the nature of how defenses work, defensive installs go faster. It's not because it's easier than offense, but they just have fewer things to put in there. On offense, you're putting in things like personnel groups and formations and motions and things like that. Since the defense is other than, you know, the the personnel group they have out there, which is, you know, considerable, they're not lining up in different formations on their own. They're just reacting to what the offense that they're playing against is doing. So you just have to install the rules for what you do in a different, a, a, a specific personnel group. You don't have to do the same kind of intense installs that the offense has to do, especially in an offense that is, you know, an NFL caliber offense. As a result, you can start working on the the execution related things that a defense has to do rather than just figuring out where everybody's supposed to stand and who has to be on the field. You're actually practicing what you're going to be doing as opposed to uh, figuring out what you're going to be doing. It's a small but significant difference. So that's one reason that, you know, your defense tends to, or is supposed to be at least, a little bit ahead of the offense. We've been hearing about how this is supposed to be the case in training camp for years now. This is, for, for the first time, a, a time where it actually seems true. Uh, the defense actually does seem to be a little bit ahead of the offense right now, and I think that's one of the reasons you're seeing Aaron Rodgers throw because the defense can actually play defense a lot better than the offense can play offense at this particular point. 
All that said as well, Mike Patton also seems to have guys doing interesting things and practice seems competitive in a way that we really haven't heard about in several years. That's encouraging to me. And I know that we don't really know anything about what the defense is supposed to be doing or how they're going to functionally be operating until we see them in a game. And even then, you might not really get an idea for what they're supposed to be doing. But it feels different. And I don't know if I can put it any more precisely than that until we get some some hard evidence of what the Packers are doing. Moving right along, um, before we get to some general observations about one specific position group, we need to talk injuries. Because two of the biggest storylines that have developed over the last couple days and the first week of training camp as a whole have been injuries. Specifically, the injuries to Jake Ryan and to Kentrell Bryce. Let's talk about Ryan first. This seems bad for Ryan. Um, I think for all intents and purposes, we are just waiting for the word that he is out for the season. And I don't think it will be a surprise to anyone who has read what supposedly happened to to Ryan in practice or the the, the descriptions of the injuries, uh, the injury as it happened, would be surprised by that. That this is not going to be a shock when uh, when things end up working out that way. This is the sort of thing that just happens. Uh, this is not something where you need to be blaming the strength and conditioning coach. You should never do that anyway because it's silly, as we talked about at, a, at great length last year. But beyond all of those issues, all the boilerplate stuff that could be true of any injuries, you know, it's bad, it's sad when this happens, Jake Ryan seems like a good guy, blah, blah, blah. This, to me, when you start get down to brass tacks of the, the ramifications here, seems more like a depth issue than a quality issue, I think. I wrote about this on the blog at thepowersweep.com, uh, and I'll read you a little bit of that here. Uh, quoting now from that piece, The value of an inside linebacker has changed drastically over the last few seasons, and players like Ryan, frankly, are rather outdated. With defenses lining up in nickel more and more, they, the need for a run-stopping quote-unquote thumper has dwindled even in a 3-4. To replace Ryan, a slow, a strong, if slow, run-oriented linebacker, the Packers don't need to look any further than their own roster. 2018 third-round pick Oren Burks, whose athleticism vastly outstrips Ryan's, is a near-ideal solution. He provides the coverage, ability, and versatility that Ryan lacked, and with Blake Martinez still on the roster, he won't have to take on a big role. I think that's that's a good summary of where things stand for the Packers. Ryan is not a coverage linebacker by any stretch of the imagination, and stories of him getting victimized by Jimmy Graham in training camp even this year are pretty, pretty common. He was not going to be playing a whole lot this year as the Packers transfer or transform even more and more into a super modern defense. That's just a reality. Sure, he did some nice things against the run. The NFL as a whole doesn't value run defense quite the way they used to. So, it's great if you can defend the run, but it's still kind of a so what sort of thing. I would rather have you be able to defend the fa- the pass, especially in a situation where defenses, opposing defenses, are at least in theory going to have to be keeping up with Aaron Rodgers and aren't going to be running the ball with the sort of regularity that would really cause you to be super concerned about the strength of your run defense. To me, a real story here with Ryan 
is going to be the corresponding roster move if and when we finally hear that Jake Ryan is going to be on injured reserve. That's the real most interesting thing at this point to me because we know the replacements for Ryan are are more or less on the roster. You've got Oren Burks, you've got a bunch of those athletic hybrid inside linebacker types. And especially since the first round of roster cuts isn't a thing anymore. We don't trim down to 75 and then jump to 53. It's just one big cut all at once. You can take a little bit more time to integrate guys. You've got an extra week to to take a look at some guys that you maybe otherwise would have cut. So when Ryan heads to injured reserve, who is that guy who gets brought back to the roster to be number 90 again? That to me is the most interesting part. I know that's not a super, super interesting thing, but the replacements are there. And unfortunately, that's just the way things go. You you move on to the next guy. It's our, Sorry, Jake Ryan, that, that's how things go. The Kentrell Bryce injury is a little bit more interesting uh, from a implication standpoint. And I realize that we've learned that it maybe isn't quite as severe as we thought it was going to be, but I think it still is significantly more complicated just because of the pieces involved. Let's say Bryce is going to be out six weeks, and that's not a big stretch if it's a bad ankle sprain at all. Six to eight weeks would be pretty common. That puts you two to four weeks into the regular season. In my opinion, I don't think there's a ready-made replacement for Bryce on the roster. You'd love for that to be Josh Jones, but what evidence do we have that Jones is that kind of player or can be that kind of player right now? That's a problem in and of itself because if not now, when for Josh Jones? If he's not ready now, it's really frustrating if you'd have to wait around for another year for it to I'm when, okay, Josh Jones, our second-round pick from 2017, can actually be a functional player now. If not now, when? It's frustrating to think about. But beyond that, who else is there? You've got Jermaine Whitehead, who is, okay, fine. You've got Marwin Evans, okay, again, fine. And then you've got a bunch of undrafted free agent players. Not great. You would love to have somebody with a little bit more pop back there, at, at least so you have options in the short term while you figure out what's going on with Bryce, who, by the way, is not you know, a, a world-beating sort of player. I still think even if Bryce's recovery is more short-term, something like two to three weeks or three to four weeks, I still think a veteran signing is warranted just because I'd take just about anybody, any veteran, with starting experience over a guy who's still learning how to be an NFL player. My preference would be Eric Reed, and I know that there are issues that come along with Eric Reed that maybe do not play super well with a particular, albeit probably pretty large, segment of the Packers fan base. He's got some connections, uh, well, more than connections, he's a big part of the NFL's national anthem protest. He was one of the leading kneelers when this thing first got rolling. That really can't be ignored, even if it probably should. There are going to be some ramifications there. I happen to think that if you bring him in and he turns out to be a good player, people may turn a, may turn a blind eye to that pretty quickly because if guys are playing and making plays, everything else seems kind of secondary. And this is very much a secondary issue anyway. I mean, if if uh, 
Martellus Bennett had been a good soldier last year, and after Aaron Rodgers goes down, says, all right, we're just going to buckle down and work extra hard and, and stuff like that. Do you think anybody really would have cared what he was doing on the sidelines during National Anthem time? Probably not. But that gets brought up as part of the entire Bennett fiasco because he was a moron um, and just a general knucklehead in addition to doing the Anthem-related stuff that he did. This is also a good time to talk about alternative ways the Packers could have handled this situation because the Packers did just let its safety go this offseason. And even with this injury situation popping up, I still think letting Morgan Burnett walk for a three-year, $14.35 million contract in Pittsburgh was a good call. That's a pretty decent chunk of change for a safety at Burnett's age. So I feel pretty confident that the Packers probably did the right thing there. Even if Burnett goes on to have a good season in Pittsburgh, I don't think he would have solved their problems all that much. And that's an expensive solution to a situation with Burnett right now. The one that still stings a little bit here is Micah Hyde. Because he seems like a pretty much ideal solution for what the Packers need here. He can play coverage. He can play as a kind of around-the-ball sort of guy. He can certainly cover tight ends better than Jake Ryan could. It just seems like that would have been a really good fit. And looking back, that five-year, $30.5 contract turns out to be maybe not quite so bad considering the level of player he turned out to be. I wrote at the time that the Packers probably would have liked to be able to keep Hyde, but it probably didn't see... Uh, probably wasn't going to be that big of a loss. In fact, I'll read you the paragraph that I wrote immediately after his departure. Quote, In an ideal world, the Packers probably or would have been able to keep Hyde, but from the Packers' perspective, there's probably not much reason to match Hyde's deal. The Bills are paying, paying Hyde like a starting caliber safety and an elite one at that. Hyde is neither of those things. Seeing what Buffalo ponied up, the Packers should feel good about ma- not matching their numbers. End quote. Well, that goes down as probably one of the worst paragraphs that I have written in our time together uh, at the power sweep. But, you know, such is life. You get things wrong now and then. Can't win them all. It would have been a great signing in hindsight, and I think Hyde is good evidence. If you want to be one of those people who whines about Packers playing people out of position all the time, you could you could bank a pretty good case there because he's turned out to be a pretty good safety in in Buffalo, but you know that's neither here nor there because Micah Hyde is there and not here here being metaphorically in Green Bay. Let's talk about wide receivers real quick and then wrap this up. Um, three receivers that have jumped out, at least from my reading of how things are going on in training camp so far: are Trevor Davis, D'Angelo Yancey, and Jake Kumaro. Trevor Davis looks like he's in good position to make the roster, and that's good because it's really put up or shut up here for him. Uh, he, we've been hearing for years about how he is this athletic, super fast, you know, potential deep threat kind of guy. It really hasn't materialized, though he does tend to do some fairly okay things when he does get his hand on the ball. He's a bit of a space case sometimes, returning kicks and punts. Yep, that happens. Um, but this year, if he can put it together, he'd be an interesting piece to have on the roster. He can run fast. Uh, you can't deny that. D'Angelo Yancey is probably one of the biggest training camp disappointments to me. 
I probably talked myself into Yancey more than I probably should have because I like his size and speed combination. I got a thing for big, muscly receivers. That's always been something that, that I've enjoyed. And I think Yancey is is one of those guys. He comes in at six foot one, six foot two, 220 or more pounds. You know, that's that's interesting, especially when you run a low four fives forty. That you're moving a lot of mass there. And I think the comparisons to James Jones were were pretty good, at least from a physical makeup and, and athleticism standpoint. He can't play apparently like James Jones, though, because he's been absent training camp so far. Bit of a bummer there. Jake Kumro, though, has been turning heads and getting some burn with the number one unit. Is that for real? Who knows? Tend to think probably not. But it is interesting because we do seem to be due for one of these every year or so, a guy that just comes out of nowhere and makes it impossible to ignore him. He's a big guy. Some sites list him, you know, at 6'4", others at 6'5", runs in that low to mid 4'5's range. Not bad for that size. That gets to be pretty tantalizing. See Michael Clark. Big guys who can run fast are always going to be interesting. Mike, uh, not Michael Clark, Jake Kumro can run reasonably fast and he's pretty big. I don't think he, if it comes down to it, he gets the nod over a draft pick. But it'll be fun to watch. And fun to watch is really about all we can hope for until the actual preseason games start happening. Asked a couple of you online what your thoughts were about uh, the biggest training camp storyline so far. Uh, heard from Jeremy on Twitter, says that the pass defense is, is improved. Uh, got one comment that said that it's funny how Wes Hodkowitz and Mike Spofford on Packers.com still look very small next to um, Larry McCarron on video, which is hilarious. The Jake Ryan injury, says Josh, is is really unfortunate and probably the biggest storyline. But Matt, also known as Matt Tub at acmepackingcompany.com says his biggest takeaway and his the most interesting thing to him so far has been Brian Gutekunst's willingness to actually talk to reporters. That is a very good point because this is not something that we've really seen a lot from, from Ted Thompson over the past two years. He was notoriously reluctant to talk to reporters during training camp, and it's interesting to see Gutekunst get up there and talk about actual things relating to his players such as the Cole Madison situation. While I've got you here, I want to talk about a sleeper candidate to replace Jake Ryan at Inker by the name of Greer Martini. He, to me, is the Jordan Tripp of 2018. Remember Jordan Tripp? You should, because he was one of the key special teams players for the Packers for, I don't know, a few games. I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Not super key, because he didn't play a whole lot. But... Uh, Martini is interesting to me. He's not a one-to-one replacement for Ryan, but he may get a shot because of how he is contributing on special teams. And the quickest way for any bubble guy to get onto the roster is through special teams contributions. You have to pay attention to the guys who are getting reps with the first-team kickoff coverage and punt coverage teams. Those are the money units. Those are the ones that lead to roster spots. If you ever have the opportunity to interact with a beat writer on the internet or in person or whatever, or just somebody who's been at practice a lot, ask them who has been playing on special teams. First, it's going to impress them because you will show yourself as a knower of football because these are the things that actually matter. Special teams reps are important. 
as diminished as the kickoff is in the 2018 NFL world, it still exists and it's still a way for guys to get jobs in the NFL. Second, it's going to give you a good idea who actually has a shot at making the roster because when it comes down to spots 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, special teams contributions may be often the only thing you have to go on. Keep an eye on those as much as you possibly can. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com. You can check us out on Facebook and Twitter as well. If you'd like to reach out to us, do so at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Support us, if you would be so kind, on patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One dollar a month sponsors this podcast and helps us keep it going. It's great stuff. Uh, thank you for your support there. Uh, if you would like to look good as well as support the Power Sweep, buy a shirt at teespring.com. Click on the store link at thepowersweep.com to find your way there. And the freest and easiest way to support uh, the Power Sweep is to give us a review on iTunes if you want. No pressure, though. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback or tips or thoughts or questions you give us helps us make this entire operation better and ultimately become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm John Meerdink. We will see you back here next week on Blue 58.